Cloudy this morning, huh? <laughs> smart, smart. So we were reading from, we we're discussing from the Bhagavatam's twelfth chapter, tenth canto, and uh, this is the first chapter of three that constitute the Brahman Mohamedan. And yesterday we heard really about the first part, first section of this chapter which is what it's really all about, um, an introduction to, or an extension from the previous chapter further, um, um, glorification of the uh, early Sakiras, Leelas of Krishna and Balaram, with their friends, <clears throat> that as we heard, and we concluded, with that, with this, uh, Sukadev was just astounded to think about the ramifications of this, the implications of this, how they were interacting with he who, properly understood, is uh, approached by the Ganis in the form of his Nirishesh 
Brahman, his, uh, his aura, with great austerities, painfully, hmm? who is uh, glorified uh, in terms of the majesty of Narayan, which is an aspect of himself by devotees in Vaidhi Bhakti seeking the Mukti and, and, and the frame of, of Vaikuntha, hmm? who is misunderstood and thought to be an ordinary person by ordinary people. Avajanati Mamudha Manusuntani Mahasrita. Something like that. Foolish people. Yoga Maya. Bewildered by my Maya. Uh, that here they, how they got there is how he put it. And it's such a beautiful thing, he's saying, as he's described, it must be a beautiful way to get there. Sanatha hmm. Goswami in his commentary cites Amar Kush, which is like a uh, famous. Uh, uh, book of Sanskrit, like a thesaurus, really. So, uh, so many synonyms. And he draws from there as the synonym of punya, which is I, I, I invoked. Kritapunya punja. How much, what measure of pious would be the ordinary translation, pious punya activities that they perform to attain disposition. Well, obviously, we can see from the just from the verse itself, we can't be speaking about punya karma, because you can't get punya karma to enter into Brahman and enter or enter into Vaikuntha. Hmm? It must be something else. So he's drawn from Amarkosh and he says that we find that punya means also beautiful. So he's saying, what how much he, he's saying, how beautiful must be the path? It corresponds with this such a beautiful uh, end. What a beautiful sadhana it must be hmm, to achieve such a beautiful sadhya. Hmm. So as we practice, so we will attain. Hmm. Think about that. Hmm. And that's where we concluded. Now he uh, extends this a little bit because in the verse, well, the jnanis have been described uh, their, their goal, the, the Vaidhi Bhaktas, their goal. Um, someone might say, what about the yogis? That's a beautiful path. Well, not in the estimation of Sukadev, who includes them in the next verse, just extending the, the, the point and says, what they try to achieve uh, just to get a glimpse of a particle of dust from his feet for a moment, these boys are without any effort, it seems, in front of them at all times, moving with them and so forth. But the yogi tries to fix in his mind for, for, for a moment, very difficult. They seem to be doing without any effort whatsoever. He, he is in their midst and in front of them and so forth. So again, he further marvels. And in a way, he... Um, uh, makes a, well, he makes a comparison, and this is the way uh, the, Bhag, the Gita works, and the Bhagavatam works this way as well, with regard to um, Abhideya Tattva, the path, the way, the means. What I mean by that is it works such that overtly and directly the path of uh, Ananya Bhakti, Ahoytuki Bhakti, uh, Prem Bhakti, um, Mm. Uh, different names for the same thing, Uttam Bhakti, 
this path is directly glorified in the texts, like the Gita, repeatedly. Here we find it, here we find it, here. A few places, it's consistent throughout. And throughout, other paths are mentioned in relation to that. So it's directly glorifying the path. And Bhagavatam does the same thing, directly glorifying the path of Uttam Bhakti and indirectly glorifying the path of Uttam Bhakti by comparing it to other paths and the, and the um, that which is attained by them. This is something that uh, is important for sadhana because we should feel that our path is the best. We should also feel that other paths are best for those who feel that their path is the best. So uh, we don't want to necessarily impose upon them, but uh, uh, to uh, help us to fix us uh, uh, with reason. It may be somewhat of a subjective reasoning, as objective as it sounds to us, and we can make a case for that. But in another sense, perhaps at least with paths that actually lead to transcendence, it's somewhat subjective because the experience and transcendence of everyone is it's perfect, whatever it is, whatever they've attained. So, uh, so here, glorification of the path and the sadhana and the sadhya. We conclude with that, and then now the book takes the chapter takes a turn to the second part or section of the chapter, of which there are three. Second part is well, uh, what atagha namabhyapatan mahasuras, and then. And see the see the contrast here from the Kritapunyapunja, the, the beautiful uh, path of Uttam Bhakti in the form of Sadhana Bhakti, which turns into Bhava Bhakti and then to Prem Bhakti. This path, beautiful path, is being contrasted with hmm, Atthaga, Namabhyapatan hmm, Mahasuras. Enter into the picture. The Maha Asura himself, Agha, whose very name, Agha, means sin, which is the antithesis of Punya. So within karma, you have Punya and Pap, right? Piety and impiety. He represents impiety. But here the contrast is even greater because impiety might be. Um, referred to as a sin of the flesh. However, here we find the impious Aga is entering in the picture, the Maha Asura, with a view to uh, uh, serve as opposition to, even, even to, to, to do away with this beautiful form of bhakti in the form of Krishna's friends and himself. So what do we call this? Now we're going outside of the realm of karma, it's pop and it's punya, and sins of the flesh to sins of the soul, aparad. So now he's, he's, he's already a, a, a sinful fellow. Now he's going to become an aparadi. In other words, he's, he, he's also coming out the realm of pop and punya, but not in the way that you want to come out of it. Hmm? 
He's coming out of it to offend Bhakti. Uh, so Bhakti being near guna in nature means it's not a product of the gunas. Karma marg is 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 uh, is um, governed by rajas. Sattva gyan marg is governed by sattva. Sattva means uh, uh, from, from sattva we get knowledge. From uh, uh, rajas we get material improvement and so forth. So these two paths, karma and gyan, they don't under themselves have transcendental efficacy. They cannot under themselves um, afford us penetration into transcendence itself, liberation, mukti. For that, we need something from that side. Even if you come so far as to, as to uh, attain jivan mukti, like some, sometimes it can be done in, in, in the gyan mark, where you've got Atmanand, like Sugadev was a, was a Jivan Mukta. He had realized the Atma, but to realize the Atma and to realize Brahman, there's, there's another step. So that's the penultimate step, Jivan Mukta and Videha Mukti, entering into Brahman, is the final liberation. For that, you need some Bhakti, some Bhakti. Hmm? You might. Sanatana Goswami agrees for a moment in, in the beautiful argument uh, showcased in Brihat Bhagavatamrita, where the Gyan Shastras are arguing with the Bhakti Shastras. Because this is a you know non-going debate. Gyan or Bhakti, knowledge or devotion. Hmm? You go to the Advaitan side of the argument. And gyan is everything, and bhakti is if you have to do it, you can. And if it helps you to get gyan, okay. But it's something to be retired. Well, this is not very pleasing to the ears of the bhaktas, who obviously have the, you know, the opposite perspective. In a, in, a, in a phrase, I guess you could say, but that, that by bhakti, even Shankar admits, you can get mukti by coming to jnana. But nowhere is it said that by jnana can you get bhakti. Of course, he doesn't posit bhakti to be a goal of jnana, but, but at any rate, uh, this is the teaching from our side, right? Hmm? Um, we see Sugadev from his gyan, from being a Jivan Mukta, he got, he got bhakti. But sometimes a Jivan Mukta, Bhagavatam teaches, thinks he's liberated the Jivan Mukta. But because she deprecates bhakti, dismisses bhakti, then has to fall down again happens. There are examples like Surabi Muni in the Jumuna, who was meditating underwater and he fended Garuda. He was driven, I guess you could say, by sattvic parabdha karma to be compassionate to the fish that Garuda was eating. So he cursed Garuda, but the result was he got, uh, he committed Vaishnava Aparad and all the fish died. Hmm. Right. 
because Kalia thought now it's safe to go there because Garuda can't go there, which wasn't true, but Garuda just said, for heck with you, I'll leave. And I'll leave some nectar here too on this Kadamba tree because Krishna will be coming. Anyway, that's a whole other Leela. We don't want to go there. Uh, we, it's, a, it's a long one, important one. Also part of this Sakura center of the Bhagavatam. But um, uh, so the efficacy of bhakti, bhakti is near guna. So from you, you might, Sanatana makes the argument, okay, the jnanis and the, and, and the bhaktas are arguing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, the jnanis say, without bhakti, you can get self-realization. And he said, okay, all right, all right I give in, I admit. You can get self-realization, Atmananda, like Socrates, without bhakti. And then the jnanis, how here and now we're victorious. Then he says, but who cares for that? It's like uh, in American football, if you come to the one yard line, but you don't get the touchdown, it doesn't matter. So, so what if you get self-realization if you can't get Brahman realization? You're still in the material world. And from there, what will happen if you offend bhakti? So. It's just, we, we think it's a small thing in comparison, right? Self-realization. So we need, if self-realization is a passport, we still need a visa to enter into that, uh, that realm. So uh, here we find the Agasura. He was very easily uh, motivated by Kamsa's appeal to him that you go and destroy this Krishna. Use some, if you look at the different demons, it's usually you can find a gradation of ways in which they came up with to deal with the situation the previous way, not having worked. So like Bakasur tried to eat him, pinch him, chew on him and swallow him. So Agasur had to come up with something else, but he was easy to be, it was easy for Kamsa to motivate him because after all, Putana and Bakasur were sister and brother, respectively, of Agasur. So he had some investment in that, some bias in the first place. Aside from the fact that he was doing the bidding of Kamsa, he had a family relations uh, that uh, that were also an extra added motive for him. But the point is that he came there and upon arriving there, he transformed himself into a boa. You can see them here sometimes. But this was a big boa, like eight miles long. Now that, you know, we'll get into that. But uh, so he transformed himself. So uh, it's it's a little fantastic, but uh, there are said to be um, magical powers that the tantrics can uh, exhibit and uh, and often deceive people by such into thinking that they're actually spiritual. Uh, and Krishna, of course, is the Yogeshwar of all the power. And we'll see how he dealt with the magical powers of Agasura. But it's very timely here at the same time that Agasura is appearing. And what I mentioned here in terms of the reason for his appearance 
motivated by Krishna's deeds previously and slaying or liberating, really. I don't know why he was offended. <laughs> he liberated Putana. He liberated Bakasura. What more could you want? But he wasn't that smart. Not very intelligent at all. So he came. This is the background by Kamsa's doing Kamsa's bidding. But above and beyond that, the reason for his appearance is relative to the extent, the measure, the extent to which these boys were absorbed in the bliss of the play of Sakyaras that is center, central to the, this, these, these chapters. Even the cow herding, as I said, is, attend, is facilitating that. That's what is being showcased, first and foremost. And they were point is they were so absorbed in their play, some of which has been described, about which Sukadev is marveling, that part the, the very reason for their joy to be out there, unchaperoned and so forth, without the previous time limitations they had experienced, not being able to go far too far into the forest and having to come back early and so forth, because. They were having a picnic lunch, right? It came in Krishna's mind. They were taking their, their, their meal out there with them. Point is, they were so absorbed in their fun that they had forgotten their lunches that they had hung on the trees. And Leela Shakti needed to push the Leela forward. So she allowed this Agasura to come into the scene to something to bring them out of their play. Had to be something very, very powerful. Point is, that's how absorbed they were. They were so lost in that. And that's what Sukadeva is marveling at. Hmm? You needed an eight-mile-long, you know, mystic yogi turning into a serpent to come on the path, appear, and, and so comes Agasura. This is the primary reason, right? Hmm? And we'll see as we go forward, too. With the liberation of Agasura, his body became a further facility for the playing of the boys. Hmm? For, for, for years to come. So here it's mentioned, <laughs> mentioned that he comes on the scene, right? Give me a couple of reasons for that, a secondary and a primary primary reasons. And it said, Ertesham Sukha Kridana Vichakshana Samaha Nityam Yaranta Nidja Jivite Subhi Pitam Rite Api Amarai Purikshite. So, meanwhile, while the boys frolicking and playing along the path suddenly see this gaping mouth of a boa or what, they're not sure what it is. He is facing east, and the sun is coming up on that side. It's not quite midday yet. And they are facing west, so the sun is to their back. So the sun is shining and reflecting off of this Agasur, and it's kind of hard to make out exactly what he is. It looks like a big cave in the forest. That sounds like fun. And wow, it's deep. And so, but maybe it's a snake, so they have to go through that. That will come. But here, the point I'm painting, the text is making, as they see Agasura, so do the devas who are observing from above, right? 
They're amazed also by the play of Krishna. They don't understand it to the same extent as Sugadev, and in their midst also, the devas, that is, they don't understand it to the extent that Brahma does, not having received the kind of samskars, bhakti samskars that Brahma did. So that we have to discuss going forward. We've, we've mentioned it previously, but to for examine it further. But still, they're, they're very pleased by these activities. They're, they're very pleasing. They're very beautiful. They're watching them. And here comes this ugly aga with, a, uh, with an ugly intention, and it causes, it strikes fear in their hearts, even though they have drunk the elixir of immortality. This is the point being made here. In other words, the devas' life is so long that you need a supercomputer to calculate it. And still you wouldn't reach the end, but it reaches an end. What's the difference? All the realms in this world, even up to Brahmalok, Krishna says in Gita, one has to die and take birth again. But my realm, by contrast, not birth again. That's one of its characteristics. You should be sure that the goal that you want to achieve that has a corresponding realm, that goal should be eternal and corresponding. That realm should be eternal. Otherwise, it's not worth pursuing. If you could go there and come back, there must be something wrong with it then. <laughs> so Krishna says twice in the Gita, no, punar janmana, three times, three, four, maybe three times. Punar janmana he said, there's no need for sun, moon, fire, electricity there. It means it's illuminous. Luminosity is, uh, is a um, light, is, is a symbolically a way of speaking about knowing, right? The light bulb goes off in your head, right? So it's a place in which there's no unknowing. There's comprehensive knowing. Sometimes some devotees misread the verse and they say, oh, it means if you go there, having been here, you never come back. But if you haven't come here yet, you might come back from there. But this is a misunderstanding what the verse is saying. The reason that you don't come back is the reason no one could leave there, even if they never came here first. Because... It is self, self luminous. So, the comparison here now, what the text is doing is starting to make a comparison between the Gopas and their attainment and the way they react to Agasura and the Devas who are in their position by Punya Karma. They've attained Devalok, uh, the, the, the celestial realm by their good, good karma. 
I would live a long, long time there. And still, they know that they're within striking distance of the serpent of Aga. They can die. They have some fear. The appearance of Agasura here in this section of the Bhagavatam is very timely because this section of the Bhagavatam, as I said, is showcasing this fraternal love of God. The principal uh, characteristic of, of which is what? Vishrambhana, Vishrambha, Vishrambha, uh, Pradhan, the Pradhan. The central characteristic of this type of love is, is, a, is a kind of confidence. The confidence is, um, is in praying the confidence that Krishna loves me and I love him. It's said that every cowherd boy thinks that Krishna loves me the most and every one of them is right. They have this kind of confidence. So from confidence, they have no fear to interact with him in any way. Sometimes, again, that they serve him, sometimes he serves them. They have pranai. That means they have no, they, they have no, they have no hesitation to kick him hmm, in fighting if, this, if the occasion should arise and it will, it will cause their victory over him in a mock battle. Hmm? I mean, to, to touch someone with your foot is, is thought to be <laughs> inappropriate, right? because they don't see any difference between their bodies and his. Pranaya is like this. If you walk down the street and somebody touches you, you kind of go, oh, excuse me, or you touch them. But if you're with someone you love, you rub up against one another. It doesn't, you know, it's your body and their body. You extended your sense of self into their body. This is, this is the intimacy of pranaya. It's, this is very, very central to Sakurasa. It also shows in Madhurya Rasa, and even in, 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 um, in uh, what is the term? Um, in Sambhog, in uh, Kantabhav, there's Pranai. Two kinds of Pranai. We won't go into that, but it's, it's an example of how Sakurasa also plays a role in the Madhurya Rasa indirectly of. Um, of brudge. And for those who have the tudbhav, a different type of material rasa, the one that recommended in um, Gaudi Vaishnavism. Then we also find influence of Sakuras there. Jiva Goswami's made the statement. And if we look carefully, we think he's explained it as well. I won't go into it in detail here. But the point is that this is central to Sakuras. It's pranai is not there in uh, Dasiras. You won't find it in Vatsaliras. It's central to Sakiras, and you can find it in, in Madhuriras also, to some extent. So if we think of Vishramba and Pranay as a kind of uh, love without any hesitation. It's a, a fearlessness. And here, 
the, gop, the, the devas, by contrast, are fearful. Hmm? They have no fear. They have no fear on two accounts. They are sharanagatas and they're premikas. They're prem, they have no fear because of their prem. Hmm? And the measure of their prem is extreme. So Arjun has sakiras also, but there's a different type of sakiras. Therefore, when Krishna shows himself to be the universe, he gets a little fearful of Krishna and has to step back. If Krishna would show that to the coward boys, they would not step back for a moment. Hmm? Such is the measure of their prem. So from the prem point of view, they are fearless. Hmm? From the point of view of Sharnagati, also. Bhaktino Thakur wrote a nice song, Atma Samarpan. So he speaks about this Anga, this limb of Sharnagati, of which there are six. This one is Gopritve Bharanam Tata, that Krishna is my protector. And in this song, he sings about this aspect or this limb of Sharnagati, which Along with Gopritve Varanam Tata. Firm faith, confidence. It means confidence. It's not pride, it's confidence. There's a difference. I'm Confident. I'm proud to <laughs> try not to be. <laughs> but uh, uh, the confident Krishna will protect me. And then that Krishna will maintain me. Krishna is my maintainer. These two, one time, sometimes one, sometimes another, are thought to be the Swaruplakshan of Sharanagati, the primary characteristic around which the other Angas of Sharanagati uh, move and assist. Uh, as tatastalakshan, marginal characteristics of what it means to be a sharanagata. Hmm? What does Krishna say in the Bhagavad Gita? Be a sharanagata. And how does he contrast it? Say, say, how does he say it the opposite way? He says, Sarvadharman puritacha mamekam sharanam raja. So be a sharanagata. Now he wants to say it the opposite way. Sarvadharma Pratyaja Mami Kam Sharanam Raja Ham Twam Sarva Papibyo Moksha Yashami Masucha. Don't fear, he says. Don't fear that there will be negative implications from this. Be a Sharanagata, don't fear. Means you'll be fearless at the feet of Krishna. Swami Prabhupada Ki Jai. He was very much of this of this nature in his in his sadhaka day and in his uh, internal life as well. Right? Uh, so in Bhakti Thakur's song hmm, about this Anga, Rakshikshatri Vishvashvo, with Krishna Krishna's confident Vishvas that Krishna's my protector. He sings about all these leelas, Agasur and Bakasur, and, and I, let me go in the forest and I will see the Bakasur and Krishna will protect me. And I, let me remember the coward boys in this way. And so it's a nice song. We find some places in which Bhakti Vinod, in his writing, in his theological writing, in his lyrical 
uh, expressions in his confessional texts, like Baba Taranga also, we find instances in which, in my estimation, he is paying some regard to the, to the lineage in which he comes as it was originated in Nitai Chand. This is the beginning of our Sampradaya, Nitai Chand, bringing attention to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the eyes of everyone in the context of doing that, people become attracted to him and they imbibe his own internal uh, sentiment of Sakyarasa. So there's so many Sakyarasa bhaktas coming out of Nityananda Prabhu's campaign. After all, some of his principal associates came with him to this world. Udharanathakur, one of them whose day of appearance we're celebrating tomorrow. So, uh, um, what was the point? So, so Bhaktivinotakur, hmm, after the passing of Nityananda Prabhu and most of the Dwalasko uh, Pauls, a few of them remained a little longer, but at that time, Janava became prominent, hmm? the cons one of the consorts of Nityananda Prabhu. And the way in which she became prominent was by connecting with the Goswami's books, hmm? by making pilgrimage to Vrindavan and learning their insights. This is at least externally, we look at it like this, hmm? wherein they are, if you read it carefully, hmm? emphasizing this Unato Ujbala, a special type of Ujbal Rasa, sometimes later in the Sampatai referred to as Manjari Bal to become the handmaiden of Radha, right? Mm -hmm. So she's then carrying this in the line of Nityananda Prabhu and, and there are different reasons why it became more prominent, good reasons and bad reasons. Mm -hmm. Bad reasons, for example, with the diminishing of spiritual power over time, which sometimes happens in a lineage, hmm? suddenly, because more supporters were going to the Madhuryaras section, suddenly the Sakyaras section turned into a Madhuryaras section, suddenly, and said, Oh, our founder, Udharandatta, he's a Dwadasa Gopal, but he's also a Manjari. Must be. We also have Manjari Bob. Please come. Hmm? and only a few rupees. So this is a condition, of course, that Bhaktivinoda also found to be unfortunately prominent to some extent. I'm speaking about it a little crudely, but this is the idea. So for bad reasons, it got pushed to the background. And you could say for some good reasons, it took a back, backward position because it is in a supporting role. It should be in a supporting role. Hmm, of this ideal. Hmm. Um, and of course, as the Sampradaya goes forward, sometimes we find, as we did in the form of my Guru Marsh, a huge wave of this again resurfaces. Nityananda Beige, what would you expect? Hmm. If, he's, if his campaign externally was ex as extraordinary as it was, hmm, then we can reason theologically, as Pujapachita Marsh did, he must have been empowered by Nityananda Prabhu. He negotiated with Krishna. Oh, Krishna, I think it would be good for you. You'll get, you'll get 
highest credits if you do the bidding of Radharani. Hmm. This, Krishna said, what? <laughs> you know that? What do you want from me? Give me the power to do the work of my Guru Maharaj, who was the representative of Radharani. He said, well, take the power. I put Balaram inside of you. I put Nityananda inside of you. Even outside of our Sampradaya, during the time of Prophet's campaign, some sadhus in Braj, they would say, Nityananda has come and empowered this, this Bhaktivedanta Swami. There's a special thing going on right now. Large campaign, Nityananda Prabhu. So, Bhaktivedanta Thakur, in some places, my point is, we find, we can reason, he, he, is, he, he is himself in, in Madhuri Rasa. He makes it very clear. But in, in the different genres of the text that he wrote, we find he speaks in such a way as to show some appreciation, some deference to this, this ideal and facilitate, therefore, those in the Sampradaya who may be of this, um, uh, this type of ruchi. We can gain some prayers from him. We find this also to, to an extent in Jiva Goswami, amongst the six Goswamis. In all their writing, none of them will show here and there as much appreciation for Sakiras as Jiva Goswami, although he's a Manjari. But in his childhood, he worshipped Krishna Balaram in his home. <laughs> so anyway, we already know it's a beautiful thing. We got Sugadev's statement on that. And the, the devas are marveling at it. They don't understand the implications of it to the same extent as Sukadev. And when Agasura comes into the scene, they're going to see really that it's quite, their position is quite different from theirs. They have fear. These, these boys have no fear. They see this Agasura and they're not sure what he is. So a long a number of verses, we won't go through them all, but quite a number of verses, they're discussing amongst one another different opinions. At first, they, some of them thought, wait, what's that? Ah. Hmm? Initial response, hmm. Sanchari Bhav. Hmm. And others think it looks like a cave. We should explore it. Someone else says it looked like a snake. And someone else says, Well, you're crazy. An eight eight, eight mile long snake. These things don't exist. Hmm. So back and forth, they have discussion. And I guess again, the sun is just glistening off, off of his upper lip and it's hard to tell exactly what he is. And, and this goes on for quite a while here. They're discussing. What is this? What's come before them? And they eventually come to a conclusion on their own that, um, that, uh, that well, they don't come to a conclusion. That they, 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 whatever is the conclusion. Maybe it's a cave. Maybe it's a snake. Maybe it's okay, but let's pretend it's a snake. That'd be fun, more fun. <laughs> they think like that. <laughs> and so they, they enter. And Krishna is at a little bit of a distance, and he's, he's watching this, of course. Now, Lila Shakti's arranged this for the reasons that I mentioned, but his omniscience is coming a little bit to the surface, so he knows it's a snake, and he also knows it's a yogi. It's a tantric. It's a it's one of Kamsa's people. And and so what 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 do we will we do in this situation? 
and the boys are looking at Krishna and looking in the cave, and, and of course they, and they enter into the mouth of Bhagasur. But Krishna's thinking, I, I, I don't want them to enter there. That'll be a problem. This is his, his will. So now the question will come, but they went anyway. How can Krishna's will not come, come true? He has sat to Sankalpa. He didn't want them to enter. Krishna, his Sakyabhav was now influenced by Karuna Rasa. Karuna Rasa means the, the, the compassionate Rasa, compassion for his devotees. He felt, these are my friends, they're my life. I can't let them enter in here. This is Agasura. He's a demon. He has a nefarious motive in mind here. And, and then he's overwhelmed by Abhuta, astonishment. And kind of suspended, which, and, and, which then they, they actually start to enter. Then the compassion again comes, and his will is that they don't enter. Their will is to enter. So how can their will override his will? It's a theological problem. Right? And of course, the answer is there. They're also Sakya Sankalpa. <laughs> That's the quality of a mukta. So there are two different opinions, two different wills between Krishna's intimate associates and himself, who will win? Well, the devotee will win. <laughs> because that will is not really contrary to Krishna's will. It's pleasing to Krishna. Whatever they do is, is pleasing. So the devotees will overrode the will of Krishna. And of course, Krishna's wonderful Leela, Krishna marveled. He understood at a certain point, my Leela Shakti has arranged this. He's following her, her lead, right? And entering in, of course, so. Bhagasur closes his mouth. As I said, Bhagasur tried to bite him with his beak. So Agasur thought, I'll swallow it. Because he'll come in. I'll, I will not clamp down on him, give him a chance to respond. I'll just swallow him with all the boys. Pythons, you know, they got a big capacity to swallow. And this way, he thought, I'll, I'll slay Krishna. I'll slay Krishna's friends. And I'll kill thereby, for all intents and purposes, everyone in Braj. That's how much I will respond for this joy of Braj, of a boy who killed my sister and my brother. And of course, I'll satisfy my, my king. So this is a big operat huge and, it, and it's intentional it's planned out it's one thing if it's incidental we shouldn't get neurotic about that oh i offended Maharaj, and he's going what are you talking about you might offend me more by telling me that they can <laughs> calm down it, for the most part operat has to have some attention connected with it of course the more the intention the more there may be consequence right <laughs> this is how the realm of bhakti works if you have their heart in the right place you really can't do anything wrong as I said the other day in karma marg 
you have to do everything technically right. If you don't, if you pour the wrong thing in the fire at the at, at the at the wrong time, you're, you're not going to get the result. In bhakti, even if you make mistake technically, but your heart's in the right place, you'll get the right result. Pujapadridamar hmm. said sometimes you hear our pronunciations and what, what are they saying? Oh. And he said, yeah. And he said, Krishna will appear that he will say, I think you meant this, right? That's what you wanted to say. That's what I felt. After all, what is the language of Golok? Some people think they will learn Sanskrit. Then they will, they will know the language of Golok. It's not a bad thing to do, or Bengali, or Rajbaz. But I see sometimes they get deluded by their knowledge of the language. There, the language is love, where you don't have to say anything. There's a song. What was that? I want to say I love you, but the words got in the way. The words got in the way. Beyond words, beyond thought, and there's movement at the same time. And there's communication. Right? So what must be the what must be the talking there? What must be the dance, the walking there? It must be singing. It must be dancing. What must be the singing? What must be the dance there? So to, what can we say about the place? Right? So Aga's intentionally going against these dear, the very life of Krishna. Krishna's thinking, if they're devoured, what will my life be? Also, and Krishna, and he has the intention to kill for all intents and purposes, take the life out of everyone in Braj. So, it's huge offense. So, by this huge offense, intentional offense, we can really come to appreciate the, who is our, who, why we want to serve Krishna. Because what happened? The devas are hoping, hope you can kill him. But Krishna's thinking, I'll liberate him. You might say the Vishnu and him killed him, but Krishna's going to liberate him. He ends his mouth and helps him exit out of the Brahmarandram, the crown and his chakra and his head. Then he comes, he comes out of the mouth with all the boys. The devas are watching this, and, and he enters into the form of Krishna. This is the beginning now, the lesson of tattva, one of the important lessons uh, of, of, the, of, the, of the Brahma Mimohan Lila. He entered into Krishna. He entered into to Krishna. And he got, there are different opinions, but uh, there, there's evidence from the text from which uh, some have drawn commentators the conclusion that he attained Sarupya Mukti. And this idea that he attained Sarupya Mukti, Sarupya Mukti means to have a form like, like Narayan, like God. Hmm? If he entered into Krishna and got Sarupya Mukti, thus went to Vaikuntha with a form like God, and what does it mean? What are the implications? Hmm? That 
is it is it, is an aspect that can be attained through Krishna. Hmm? As I said before, the 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 the, the uh, Aishvarya is an aspect of his Madhurya. This is Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, right? Krishna, the source of Narayan. He can send you to Baikuntha and give you a form like Narayan. Hmm? And the gods see this. Hmm? How could they see it? This is the point. How could this is support of the point that he got Sarupi Mukti? Some will say Sayuja Mukti. But how could they see him? Because you cannot see the Atman. But if he had a Sarupya, then you could see that. Effulgent, just a flash of the effulgence of his Siddhadeha, Sarupya. Hmm? Forearmed like the right. They got a glimpse and he entered into Krishna. It means Narayan is inside of Krishna. That's an aspect of himself. And the devas are seeing this. And you can imagine what kind of a commotion that created amongst them. Because how rare is it to attain mukti of any kind? Manusyanam sahasre very, very rare. One in a thousand will be interested. Amongst the thousand of them, one will be whatever, successful. So he goes on and on. And you should know this. You should, this is how you should think. I came to this for that. Of course, it's praying, but you're learning that as you go forward. And mukti is inside of praying. You need to come here for a religion. Don't come here for a religion. Come here to leave the world where religion is the better part of it, but still within it. To leave the karma mark. Religion is within the karma mark. It's dharma, karma, dharma, karma, artha, and as I like to say, These three are prominent, and they all know the Hindus. Yeah, Moksha's there, but not for you, son. You should be, you should marry, have son. Give us grandchildren. We worked hard to send you to college. No, you should marry. Yeah, yeah, Moksha's there, but that is for some, some people. Many lives, not this life. <laughs> Understandable. What does the Gita say? He reiterates this later in the middle of it, in the theological section of the text, having mentioned it in the beginning, in the second chapter. The Vedas are mostly dealing with Dharma, Artha, Karma, all under the modes of nature. But he says, you should go beyond that. You should look deeper. If you look deeper beyond Dharma Jignasu, you come to Brahma Jignasu. And if you look deeper, you come to Rasa Jignasu. And 
वंदे श्री कृष्ण चैतन्य नित्यानंद सहोलित गौरवराय पुष्पबंतो चित्रो समदो तमो नुदो तमो नुदो एंड तमो मींस अ डिजायर फॉर धर्मा अर्थ कामा गोनेटाय आर गेटिंग डिसमिसिंग दैट एंड समदो दे आर गिविंग प्रेम प्रेम द भागवतम इज Gita says, "What at its conclusion, give up, Gyan, give up karma." Hmm? And the Bhagavatam, its theological sequel, begins, "Dharma projita kaitabhutra," give up these pursuit of these ideals. That's a cheating. You cheat yourself by that. Hmm? This book, it says, it has another ideal for swan-like people, hmm? and in comes Brahma on his swan. Why is he riding a swan? Amongst all the devas, they're shocked at what's going on here. Hmm? Someone has been liberated, and how they got liberated? Just by his touch, just by his will. Such a difficult thing to achieve, just by his will, and he got sarupi mukti. I mean, the devas know this. They're preoccupied with the the happiness of that place, so it's an impediment to, and a long life impediment to having the wherewithal to bear down and do the sadhana to achieve that which you came here for. Again, not to just be a religious person in the world, not just to have some head full of knowledge that you've memorized and regurgitate, know what to say and how to say it without knowing what to do. Without doing it, hmm? don't be like that. Hmm? Come here to 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 stay here, so to speak. Right? Hmm? So the devas, they're all shocked that this is happening, and the the, the leader amongst them, Brahma. As we talked about intelligence, presiding deity of Vigyan Shakti, he comes in on his swan. His swan. Why is he? Why is he riding a swan? Because swan is said to be that creature amongst the less complex forms of life that has an extraordinary power of discrimination. It can discriminate between water and milk if you put the two together in a glass. Drink the milk and leave the water. Fine discrimination, a suitable vehicle for Brahma. So all this commotion amongst the devas. And so, in, what's going on on Earth? He has to come in and see and weigh in what what's happening. And of course, then we come in what what he what he sees. And now another current we see is what's behind all of this. It's happening for different reasons. So Krishna is arranging all of this. Remember, he's Mukta, but remember, he's Sarvakya. What does Mukta mean? Mukta mean means he's like unknowing. By the force of the love of his devotees, his his all-knowing is recedes to the background, but it's not gone. 
it's there, his omniscience. And what is, what is the value of that for us? He can hear our prayers. So Brahma's praying. I got these mantras from this mantra from you, from Krishna, dawn of creation. Krishna came wearing a gopa vesh. He, he held a gyan mudra. He, he gave me the mantra. It's mentioned in Brahma Samhita, mentioned in Gopal Tapani, it's mentioned in Srimad Bhagavatam. You may read Srimad Bhagavatam and say, well, it doesn't say in here he had a gopa vesh. Sounds like it's Narayana that he got the darshana. It's clear in Brahma Samhita. It's clear in Gopal Tapani, but Brahma Samhita, where did that come from? Some will say, from another Sampradaya. You say, oh, yeah, it came from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We don't accept that. Gopal Tapani, Madhva doesn't accept it because some say it didn't exist at the time of Madhva, 13th century versus 14th century. Bhagavatam, yes, but he's not describing as wearing Gopavesh there. As a, in the dress of a gopa, <laughs> that's fine. What did he say? Hmm? What did he say in four verses? Hmm? There you find ragmarg, rasyam. He's describing a secret kind of love. Hmm? Narayan's not going to talk about that. Hmm? So, and Narayan's inside of Krishna. So Krishna, sh Krishna showed himself hmm? to Brahma. Spoke the four verses. Gave him, gave him Diksha, and Brahma's off trying to figure out what that's all about, doing about going about his sadhana, worshiping God in, in, in Brahma Loka, who's not Gopavesh Krishna. Hmm? He's thinking Krishna's an avatar of Narayan. Hmm? But his mantra is telling him something else. So, amongst all these devas, he has a, some unknown kind of heart for what's really happening there. That the other devas don't have. He has bhakti some scars of the sakiras nature. Devatsakya sakyuriva. Krishna touched his hand, right? Came and clasped his hands. His two hands grabbing the hand of, of Brahma. Brahma, I'm very pleased to meet you. Let me share this with you. And Brahma replies, You have approached me like a friend to a friend. Prabhupada says, like equals. Vishwana hmm. Chakrabhutakura says, and Brahma had a desire to develop love for him in friendship. <laughs> Later in Bhagavatam, what is that, 84th chapter, Shutadev and Bahulasva, the king, Bahulasva, and Shutadev, the Brahmin, they meet Krishna and he agrees to come to visit them, their homes, and treats them equally. Anyway, whether you're rich or poor, it doesn't matter. When he comes to Shutadev's home, he meets Shutadev, he praises him, and Shutadev clasps him by the hand. Krishna clasps him by the hand and speaks to him. And Vishwanath Chakitakra says, clasping him by the hand means he showered him with Sakyarasa. <laughs> so Prabhupada brings up, because Krishna touched his hand, that means he's definitely in Sakyarasa. Brahma has definitely now affinity for Sakyarasa. So he has these impressions. We may meet a sadhu, we may even take diksha, we may not know exactly what it's all about. There's there's learning curve, and sometimes we start to realize this is what's happened to me. This is the current I've come in touch with, and so forth. So Krishna is omniscient. In the midst of his mugda, he can feel the prayers of Brahman. He knows it's time to acquaint this guy a little bit more with what this ideal that I've initiated him into. 
is all about. He wants it, but he doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know what the what the what the what the Vishaya Lumbana, the object of love of Sakras looks like. He saw me in Gopavesh, but I was not in full form there with my friends. He didn't, he doesn't know the object of love. He doesn't know, he has no experience of the shelters of that love, those who have that love. New deepeners and so forth. All this is in play here in Braj. So he's coming in on his swan and he'll get off of his swan also. That's the head. He'll get off his swan and leave his intelligence behind and enter into the domain of Gansu and the Bhakti. And his Bhakti will turn from a Vaidhi orientation to the, to, to the, to the Ragmarg orientation, that was the, the, the seeds for which he received. So that's coming ahead. But for today, at least, this is what's happened so far. Brahmaji ki jai, Gopal Krishna ki jai. Daoji Gopal ki Any question? Yes. Yes. Well, what you're asking is how does God have a lot of power? It doesn't make a lot of sense when you think of it like that. Mm -hmm. um, let me give you let me give you a way to appreciate this. In order to play, you have to have some power. What do I mean by that? Well, let's say you want to take a vacation and play. Well, you have to have some power with the company that you work for to get a, get a vacation time, right? You have to have some power in the form of money in the bank, right? So to play, those who play must have some power. They don't have, they're not working to maintain themselves at that time at least. So there's some power that they have accrued, which affords them the ability to play. So to play, you have to have power. Now, if you look at the Hindu pantheon, there are all these gods and goddesses. They've all got different carriers and different weapons and they wear different things. It all means different things, right? But all of them, none of them are playing all the time. Brahma's not playing. He's busy as a engineer, architect of the universe, arranging, managing things. Shiva's busy meditating. Indra's busy with his, his celestial exploits and so forth. This one, that one. All of them have something to do. So they don't have the power just to play only. Now, Krishna in Vrindavan, who we're talking about, what does he do there? He only plays. He doesn't do anything else. He's the son of the coward uh, king. In that sense, coward boys in particular don't have to play, but he doesn't have to play on top of that because he's the son of the king even. He doesn't have to work. 
Pardon me? Doesn't have to work. Yeah, excuse me. Doesn't have to work. Doesn't have to work. Only has to play. He only has to play. He plays a flute, hmm? but that's just play. So all he's doing all the time. Hmm? Even as I said, herding cows, well, that could be some work, but the cows make it play for him. They cooperate. They want to facilitate his play. Therefore, they, they make the, 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 the ground into dust and soft for his, for his lotus feet to walk on. So the point is, he who is only playing must be all-powerful. So the very play of Krishna, the, 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 that he's doing Leela, hmm? effortlessly Leela, the implication of that, if we studied is he must be all-powerful. Hmm? You follow? Good question. Thank you. All right. Anything else? Anything online? All right. We'll stop there. Shishidaji Gopal ki jai, Gaur Bhakti Binda ki jai. Gaur Premanam. Shri Guru Maharaj ki jai.